Wow. Can we just give some love right now to the band, to Jenna, to George. Love to our shepherds. I mean, wise men, tech team, you guys are amazing. Um, I have the unenviable priv uh, expectation and privilege of trying to weave together what we just experienced, try to make some meaning of it, and even try to draw your attention. There was so much going on. I don't know if <laughs> you felt it too. It felt like a fire hydrant uh, that I was drinking from. Um, but I just want to ask what any of this means for us, besides hopefully moving you, opening you up, uh, causing a little bit more wonder and awe at what Jesus has done. And so in order to, to reflect on it, um, I wanted to offer you a book that I encountered this last year. It was maybe one of the most moving books I read. And it just has an image that I think is sort of helpful to explain what we just saw. Um, it's by the New York Times columnist David Brooks, if any of you guys have seen his stuff. He, he's writing all the time. Uh, interestingly, David Brooks is from Toronto, but he went to University of Chicago right here in Chicago. He, I find David Brooks really fascinating because he's sort of everything you'd expect a heady, intellectual New York Times writer to be. He's very sophisticated. He did a crime beat for a while. He did movie reviews for a while. He's traveled around and covered politics for a while. So he's kind of seen it all. Uh, but interestingly, as Brooks has gotten older and older and older, uh, he grew up in a Jewish family and has really been moving on this journey towards Christianity for the last 10, 20 years now. And he just released this book called The Second Mountain, The Quest for the Moral Life. And in it, uh, Brooks puts this image forward. He says, every person in their life is going to find themselves trying to walk up the first mountain. Okay, so just follow Brooks for a second here. He says, every person, and he's saying, I, I, look, I've seen it all. I've traveled all around the world. Uh, I've, I've been in all of the intellectual circles. Everyone finds themselves trying to climb the first mountain. And as he talks about this first mountain, he says, the thing that happens in the first mountain is that you try to seek a life for yourself, a life that brings you whatever it is you are looking for, you are longing for, you are hoping will make you happy. And so here on this first mountain, uh, one of the ways he talks about it is that this is the mountain of achievement. Um, I like that Brooke says most of us go to school. At some point in school, you have a teacher, a parent, maybe even friends give you some kind of affirmation when you achieve something. Maybe for some of you it was sports. Maybe for some of you it was music. Maybe for some of you it was good grades. Maybe it took you a long time to figure out that good grades were a nice thing to achieve. That's okay. Uh, but uh, most of us at some point find ourselves walking up this mountain of achievement. And the, the thing is, achievement feels great. Uh, achievement, we learn to discover, is this wonderful, filling thing when the teacher gives you the good grade, when uh, the opportunity opens up, when you become the captain of your sports team. And yet, Brooks says, the problem for most of us is that as we go to graduate from college, we simply keep walking up this mountain of achievement. We take these skills we learned in school, the attempt to, to do what's being asked of us, to seek the next best thing, and now in your work it becomes a promotion 
that is the next A. It becomes the raise, or, or maybe it's a new car, or maybe for you the achievement is I'm going to get married, or I'm going to have kids, or I'm finally going to buy a house, or I'm finally going to move to the suburbs, or I'm finally going to move further into the city. Whatever the achievement is, you keep walking up this mountain of achievement, and yet Brooks says he's noticed again and again and again the danger is that as you're achieving more and more and more, you suddenly stop and look around, and you have to ask yourself, where is my soul? Where is that part of me that used to know who I was? As he continues reflecting on this mountain, he says, for some of us, maybe achievement isn't your thing. Uh, He says, especially right now for millennials, of which I'm a part, and Gen Z, I think a lot of us climbing this first mountain have sought the mountain of aesthetics. This is what Brooks says. He, with a little bit of bite, calls this the Instagram mountain, in which he says, you find yourself climbing this similar mountain in which you're seeking out the next best experience. Like, what's the next thing? Where's the next best place to eat? Where's the next best place to travel? Where's that place that you could travel that your friends haven't traveled to yet, that when they ask you, hey, where have you been traveling to? You could say, well, I was just at that place. And they would say, wow, that place? Are you serious? What was it like? And you'd say, well, it was as great as you'd think it was. Uh, And then you can kind of chase this conversation over and over and over again. And unfortunately, as I'm sure you can see, just pondering it in this moment, Brooke says, I have seen in my life that this mountain becomes just as empty as that mountain of achievement. Um, I heard one psychologist talk about it, say that he likes to ask people that he's counseling, uh, what, what would you like most from your life? And he says most young professionals he talked to begin to tell him of this day when they're finally going to have enough money that they could retire early And then they're going to be able to finally travel, and they're going to sit on a beach, and they're going to be able to sip a margarita, and they're finally going to be able to just, you know, enjoy it all. And the psychologist says he loves to ask them, okay, yeah, no, I'm with you. Wow, that sounds great. Like, I I would love, I'd love that. That sounds wonderful. Um, So that's what you're going to do the first day of your retirement. What are you going to do the second day of your retirement? Or what about the third day. Okay, no, I'll, I'll give you five days on the beach with a margarita. Five days sounds pretty good right now in December in Chicago, but what are you going to do on the 50th day, on the 500th day? The problem with the mountain of aesthetics is that it too leaves you wondering where your soul has gone. That's why Brooke says on this first mountain, when you're walking up the mountain of a life lived for yourself, He says, it's impossible to escape the sense that this mountain leaves not just us as individuals, but our whole culture with this ache. It is the ache of the first mountain, the ache of attempting to live life for yourself. There was a famous uh, study, a book written about 40 years ago now, which is sort of crazy. 40 years back in the 80s, a guy named Robert Putnam wrote a book as a sociologist that he called Bowling Alone. Bowling Alone. It's this famous study, sociology, uh, looking at the United States, and his observation was American culture used to be built on values of community. You tended to belong to a bunch of different things, so your grandparents or maybe your parents were probably part of the parent-teachers organization. Maybe they had a union that they belonged to. They probably statistically had a bowling league. In fact, he said it was something crazy like 43% 
of American men over the age of 40 in the 1960s were part of some sort of athletic league in their neighborhood. And yet now, the problem he observed in the 1980s was that everyone is bowling alone. And I think if you think about these couple of paths that we're trying to climb up this first mountain, the path of achievement, the path of aesthetics, the challenge for us is that we're, we're doing everything we can. This is a very strenuous mountain that we are trying to climb. You probably feel a little bit tired right now at Christmas time from all the work you've put in to trying to climb this mountain. And yet, as we look around, this is David Brooks, the New York Times columnist, columnist who says, I see everyone aching around me as they are trying to live this life for themselves. Statistically, for all of our advances, for all of the technology we have in our pockets, for the TV you can sit in front of tonight instead of being here if you wanted to, for the phone that could instantly connect you to every contact you've ever saved, the challenge is, statistically, we are more lonely than we have ever been. We are wrestling more deeply with severe mental health crises from depression to suicide to despair to addictions. And Brooks looks around and says, I don't think the first mountain is ever going to work for you. But in this wonderful turn of phrase, Brooks' book, uh, his title drives his major idea, which is that he says, there is... A second mountain. There is a second mountain that every person has an opportunity to discover. And I love how Brooks set this up. I kind of got shivers when I first read it. He says, the second mountain is realizing that your life is not ultimately meant to be lived for yourself. The moment you realize that you no longer can climb that mountain, the first mountain that is seeking just your own interest, you discover there is, in fact, a second mountain, a second path, a second struggle. And he gives four characteristics of the second mountain. He says the people who discover the second mountain realize that the mountain they will climb will require their humility. It's going to require their commitment. It's going to require their sacrifice. And it has the possibility of giving them joy. I'm going to put these up on screen. Humility, he says, Brooks says, often comes through intense suffering. As he has interviewed countless people that he sort of puts forward as images of people who have found the second mountain, he says most of them at some point went through a wilderness and they had to wander. At some point they experienced intense, intense suffering. And yet these people are, begin to realize in their suffering that the life lived for themselves is never going to offer them what they require. And as much as they wanted to be free in this first mountain to just climb wherever they wanted to climb, if they were truly going to find purpose, if they were truly going to find meaning, they would have to commit themselves to something, commit to themselves to some ideology, some kind of tribe, some sort of family, some sort of love or passion or a faith or a God. Something would require their commitment if they were going to begin to climb. And inevitably, when we commit ourselves to something, that commitment requires sacrifice. If you're going to pursue a commitment over the whole duration of your life, at some point you're going to have to say no to things you otherwise might have wanted, pleasures you otherwise might have sought, so that in seeking 
this second mountain and committing yourself to the path you are on, you can begin to taste the first fruits, Brooks suggests, of joy. Now, I'm drawn to the second mountain, if I've been taking you anywhere here in this brief reflection, because I believe what we saw tonight is the Christmas story reminding us that the Christmas miracle is ultimately about these different responses who each discovered God as their second mountain. In fact, if we look at Mary, Mary is so humbling to reflect upon, isn't she? Most of the scholarship we have suggests Mary would probably have been a teenage, a teenage girl who receives a word from an angel, which that alone is a little overwhelming. I'm not ready for it. I don't know about you. I, I'm not ready to get an angel visiting me tonight. Uh, but the angel comes and invites Mary into something so much bigger than herself. But the cost of this invitation is going to be one that she carries in her body. There's a physical toll to moving into pregnancy, a pregnancy that she had not probably prepared for, uh, been expecting, thought was going to be happening at this moment. And yet the pregnancy itself would continue into a commitment that would last her whole life, a commitment where it would not just be Jesus walking to the cross, it would be Mary following his footsteps all the way to her very own son's death. This is the kind of second mountain invitation that Mary beautifully responds to. In fact, there may be no more striking second mountain commitment than Mary's words, I am the Lord's servant. May your word to me be fulfilled. But it wasn't just Mary, was it? I, I think this Christmas, for whatever reason, we added this Joseph reading this year to sort of step into Joseph's world as he came alongside Mary. And as you reflect with me on Joseph, this is Luke 2, oh, sorry, Matthew 1, 24. Joseph is invited into a different kind of commitment, isn't he? In a strange way, Mary is the center of the story. Mary is the hero of this second mountain journey. She becomes the mother of God. She rightly is revered across the Christian faith because of the incredible faithfulness and the incredible response. But Joseph commits to Mary's calling. Have you ever noticed that? That like it's not Joseph's primary calling. This is actually him hearing someone else has been called by God to do something great and he has been asked to play a supporting role. Do you have the kind of openness as you think about your life? Even as I joked, I'm not ready for an angel to appear tonight. Do you have the kind of openness to either receive your own second mountain calling? Is it possible? Is it possible that God has something big that he's inviting you into? Or is it possible that God simply wants you to come alongside something big that's happening? You may not be the primary role, but this part that Joseph has to play as we reflected on tonight, it's going to require sacrifice it's going to require sleepless nights. It's going to require training a son that is not his own, that, will, that he too knows will ultimately be released to death. In fact, most scholars don't think Joseph makes it to Jesus' adulthood. He's not even going to get to see the full glory of this child he is raising. And yet Joseph woke up and did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. 
and took Mary home as his wife. The final two that we have beautifully symbolized here in the manger, that of the shepherds and the wise men. My very brief reflection for you tonight is that the shepherds are met by God in the work they were already doing. Isn't it encouraging that sometimes we feel pressure, like in order to really find the second mountain, you're going to need to leave everything behind. You're going to need to join a nonprofit. You're going to have to give all your possessions away, abandon your career. But here for the shepherds, they're in the middle of doing what they had always been doing. They are simply watching their sheep at night. And God appears and says, would you like to come participate in something bigger than yourself. And the shepherds, of course, go, and as they go, they say, they uh, see him, this child, and everyone was amazed at what the shepherds said to them. The shepherds bring the joy and wonder of their second mountain discovery with them to this manger. And finally, these wise men. I just offer this reflection in the city, especially, I think. Uh, some of you, like these wise men, uh, have climbed far up the mountain of achievement. Some of you are incredibly gifted, you're incredibly talented, and you maybe have gotten further up that first mountain than you were even expecting early on in your life. Yet I love that there, in the midst of these wise men's accomplishments, they encounter something even greater than any accomplishments they could achieve on their own. And in response, they take the very treasures that they had accumulated on that first mountain and they bring them down with them to the second mountain moment where they offer them at the feet of this baby boy. Tonight, my encouragement to you as you hear about the second mountain is that I, I do think David Brooks is right. If you are tired and if you are weary tonight, I think it's probably because You've been trying to climb this first mountain. You have, in some way, shape, or form, been trying to live a life for yourself. And the first piece of good news that this Christmas story wants to invite you into is that there actually is a second mountain. You don't have to keep living this life just for yourself. You can actually find a greater purpose that's going to require humility, that's going to require commitment, that will take sacrifice, but that could actually give you here and now those glimpses of joy that your heart is longing for. But here's the last piece of good news I have for you tonight. As I've been pondering Brooks this week and been sitting with this image, I can't help but think that Christmas is all about the reminder that as much as we want to climb the second mountain kind of life, the ultimate good news is that God is the kind of God who comes down the mountain for us. Christmas is the reminder that before you even begin this ascent, before you even took your first steps, God came down the mountain for you. This manger is an image of a God who loves you so much that he would come down to be near you, that he would take on vulnerability to know you in your own vulnerability, that God would commit to you before you had even committed to God. This God would sacrifice everything for you and that this God would want joy for you because this God wanted to share his joy with you.
Let me just close in a prayer for us. In just a moment, we're going to have one final, uh, two final songs before we close out our time. My prayer for you is simply this. Tonight, do you need to stop climbing this first mountain? Do you need to come back to this manger? Wherever you've been, whether you've been around faith for a long time, whether you've been on a long journey, whether you have questions still unanswered, I really think Christmas and Jesus is not trying to get any more complicated than saying, will you come to this manger? Will you come and remember at this manger that God drew near to you. Come and see that there's a bigger story taking place in your life. Come and see that there's so much more than you've been living for. Come and step into whatever part God has for you to play, large or small, gifts or no gifts. Come to the manger. Come and worship the God who drew near to you. If you have anything stirring in you tonight, I want to pause for just one more second and let you offer up a prayer to God that's going to be silently where you're sitting. You heard the refrain that Jenna read. God simply wants your heart. Do you have a prayer to pray to God from your heart tonight?